This is EntreEd Talk, the podcast for entrepreneurial educators by entrepreneurial educators. We are your hosts, Toy Hirschman and Amber Ravenscroft. This podcast is created by the National Consortium for Entrepreneurship Education, or EntreEd for short. Hello and welcome everyone to another exciting episode of EntreEd Talk. We are so overjoyed to welcome our friend Josh Rapoon. Josh is a former chef, hotel manager, and teacher who was raised in Kalu on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. He holds a degree in history and a master's in educational foundations and currently works as a sales specialist for Apple. Josh is the founder of Plexus Education and at MLTS in Hawaii, a movement founded by extraordinary people dedicated to developing public, private, and charter school conversations around Ted Dintersmith's film, Most Likely to Succeed, which is where the MLTS comes from, and his book, What School Could Be. Josh also hosts the podcast series around what school could be and is an innovator working with Ted Dintersmith in Hawaii to help promote Hawaii as a model for schools nationally in the world of education, innovation, creativity, and imagination. Welcome, Josh. We're so excited to have you here this morning for you. Um, Josh is in, I'm very, very enviable. He is in Hawaii, so we're not in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, you are not. And, so and Welcome. We're so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm, I'm super stoked to be on your show. It's, um, it's already 85 degrees at 7 a.m. and uh, the breezes are blowing and the sun is out. So sorry for all you guys on the East Coast. That's the way it goes. Uh, there's snow here. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, oh my goodness, um, Josh, like I, there's no way that I could even do you justice with that intro because we've, we've spoken and you have done so many things. Why don't we start by having you just share a little bit more about yourself, how you got to where you are today and, and what you're trying to do and the awesome things that you're doing in Hawaii to promote education innovation. Yeah, sure. So um, as you said, I, after a couple of careers as a chef and a hotel manager and, and um, 17 years in the classroom, um, I stepped away and um, around the same time started to work at Apple. And for me, that made a lot of sense because I was one of the very early adopters of technology in the classroom. I think here in Hawaii, I was one of the first educators to have a one-to-one -one classroom. And that's because of a, a visionary ed tech director who understood what I was trying to accomplish and um, bought me 15 MacBooks to go in the classroom and, and everything just sort of took off from there. Um, but um, so coming to work at Apple made sense because I was already super familiar with Apple technology um, and it's pretty neat. I've been with Apple for five years and the teaching continues for me. I'm, I'm easily the oldest guy in the store. Um, and a lot of people gravitate to me, especially our senior citizens. <laughs> They're like, that guy's got gray hair. He must be patient. Um, and so um, you do a lot of mini teaching all day long when I'm working at Apple, and it's a great environment to do that. Um, but in um, August of 2015, some friends of mine in education um, asked me to take a look at a film called Most Likely to Succeed, and I watched it. And I feel as if I, it's not hyperbole to say that my world spun or flipped, uh, I spun on a dime. It was, it was a, I felt as if I was watching a miracle unfolding right in front of me and things that I had cared about for decades um, were suddenly made visual to me. Um, so the argument that's presented in most likely in the first 20 minutes about how the world is changing, 
I was seeing it firsthand working at Apple and paying attention to the world. And then the, the, the deep dive into High Tech High, which I had already visited at that point, but didn't really know much about, um, just made so much sense and it, to me. And it resonated with me because it, it was what I had been trying to do in my classroom for all 17 years that I've been teaching. So long story short, uh, Ted was uh, around that time beginning his 50 state tour. Um, and he was already beginning to reach out uh, for somebody in Hawaii. It was going to be his last stop, the 50th state, um, looking for somebody who might coordinate his time. And, and because of a certain set of um, interesting circumstances that are beyond the pale of this conversation, we got, we got connected. Um, and so when he came to Hawaii in May of 2016, I was the guy that arranged his visit. And as you know from reading his book, um, he really thought it was going to be a one-off, like get me to Hawaii. I'll do one day of looking at a couple things. There can't be anything interesting going on in Hawaii. Um, and Elizabeth and I want to go to Lanai and start our long-awaited vacation. But I took him on a six-day wire-to-wire, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. learning walk. And he, he left tweeting that Hawaii was going to be a, a model of innovation to the rest of the country and to the world. And, and that's where the whole thing started for Ted and I. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we're, I mean, I'm a big fan of Ted. Yes. We got to interview him previously and I just, the whole time he was talking, I we barely spoke. We didn't need to right. at that point. We just let him go. Yeah. But I'm. Yeah. you got to visit High Tech High? Yeah, I've been there a number of times and probably the, the two times that were most important for me, one was I got to attend the Deeper Learning Conference, um, which okay. is held every spring at High Tech High. And you gotta, you gotta experience that to believe it. It's, it's truly remarkable to go through a PD session like that over multiple days in an environment like High Tech High. It's one thing to do innovative PD in a, in a traditional school setting that feels a little bit like you're in a penitentiary or something, you know, the hallways are, are all locked down and all that. But when you get to High Tech High, everything sort of opens up. And then the second time that was really meaningful to me, um, I my daughter is, uh, lives in California and Marin. Uh, county above San Francisco, and um, she's been around me in my classrooms, uh, you know, as a child, and ultimately decided that she wanted to be a teacher, which is, you know, how beautiful is that? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and she's now teaching kindergarten um, and getting her master's up in Northern California, but she and I visited High Tech High because she was thinking about master's programs, and I don't know if you know, but High Tech High is the only um, K-12 school or actually the only high school in the country that has a graduate degree program for teachers. Um, and there are a lot of people out there who have had their eye on that fact and have been or are very interested in developing graduate programs at that level. So getting accredited um, for High Tech High to, to get accredited and to build a program like that is super special. And I'm excited about the possibility that we might break out of our traditional, you have to go to college, you have to do an undergrad, and then you have to get a teaching degree. Like, why Why does that have to be? Yeah. Why can't you start getting ready to be a teacher right there in high school um, or, or while you're teaching in high school? So yeah, High Tech High is pretty special. Fascinating model. I had never, that's interesting. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes it so much more relevant. I think a big thing for us is like you you go through these four-year programs as teachers and then you graduate and you don't know how to manage a classroom because you had a small stint. So that's, I mean, that's amazing. I had not heard that. I'll have to look more into it. And I think one of the things to, you know, use the word manage a classroom. 
Um, but for, for those of us who are deep into the conversation about innovation and imagination and creativity, that word management is already out the door already. Yeah. It's, it's about, you know, it's where you learn to be a guide on the side or you learn yeah. to be a coach or a sponsor or a mentor. And that's what you see in that program when you're working on the ground there. So yeah, it's very cool. Very neat. Like, I mean, that's, that's the dream. I was meeting with teachers yesterday and that kept coming up the, the management issue. And we kept talking about like the more innovative you are, the less management you even need, you know, the more, the, the more that you give kids ownership and the more that they're invested and intrinsically motivated to learn, the less you need to worry about managing anything. <laughs> and you can right. actually be yourself as a teacher, as an educator, creative and, and free to, to explore things that you know you didn't you couldn't before so it's just it's incredible what that does and why we have such a hard time getting around that really, my experience as a teacher is actually sort of three parts um, connected to exactly what you're talking about so part one at Punahou as I first started teaching it was about managing a classroom with some innovations that I was starting to build into it and then when I taught for eight years at La Pietra High School for Girls the whole the walls disappeared, the wheels came off, I just went crazy and started doing all kinds of things that um, I, I had been wanting to do for a while. And then my third stint was at Ilani School, which is a, a very traditional uh, college track school. And I kind of slammed back into that manage the classroom mode. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons why I decided to leave teaching ultimately was that there, there, I, I didn't know about another environment that I could go back into to do the work that I've been doing at La Pietra. So, yeah. It's interesting. So what was it like teaching at an all girls school? Like, can you tell, can you set the landscape for that? We had, I think we've had one other person on our podcast that's that taught at an all girls. It was a private school. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's it. That's a great question. Um, when I arrived at La Pietra, I came in filling in for a teacher who, who had gotten ill just a couple of weeks before school started. And I came in. Um, it, it was a super interesting experience because I was teaching an APUS class. And I remember the very clearly, I remember the first moment that I stood in front of the class, these 14 women were looking at me with just death in their eyes because <laughs> I had replaced a very, very favorite teacher, and they actually didn't know why she was not there. Um, so I think here's the thing about all girls education. I, I, there is no evidence that I know of that says that if your daughter is in an all girls school, that she is going to achieve, at least by traditional metrics, better than any other school. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the research on that is completely mixed. Um, there is no definitive evidence that that's going to be the pathway to better achievement. The claim that's been made with all girls education is that you socialize in an environment, you learn to be a human in an environment where you don't have to compete with other girls around guys. You don't have to go through a lot of the traditional things that you have to do in a co-ed school. Um, and I experienced that. I think there's a certain level of focus that comes when you can kind of drop away all of that sort of guys sort of stuff. Um, but at the same time, um, there is a, there's a limiting factor, which is that if for me as a teacher who is super focused on Socratic seminar, on, on student voice, on building discussion into the classroom, you're missing a, a whole component 
Um, yes. And the, the only discussions that you can have around gender and around sexuality and things like that are in the absence of guys. Um, so, you know, I remember there was one moment, Amber, where I, I very curious, I asked the girls that was coming up towards prom and I was like, where do you guys go for your prom dates? And they kind of looked at each other. One girl raised her hand and she said, well, I go to Safeway, you know, and it's like the guy behind the deli counter is, is the guy I'm going to invite to the prom, right? So there's all these things that are like super interesting. Um, but I, I absolutely treasure my eight years at La Pietra. And what I've found over time is that the friendships that I've retained over the years with my former students have been mostly La Pietra girls and not as much the guys at Ponaho and at Iolani. Um, so you can you can go a little bit deeper in terms of really getting to know people in an environment like that. And I think that that's actually pretty special. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just curious of your kind of thoughts on that piece. And I agree. There's there's very mixed reviews on actual achievement in those kinds of environments. Yeah. I mean, we've looked at the research extensively in those, too. So, yeah. Right. But I, that's interesting. The perspectives thing. I think diversity of thoughts and especially in a Socratic seminar is so important. Right. So, right. Yeah. Wow. So I wanted to just have you touch a little bit on um, the last thing that you said. You said you were at a very traditional track, uh, college track type of type of school environment after, I'm going to say it wrong, La Pietra. Am I saying that right? Yep, you are saying it right. <laughs> you're you're after, after that. Mm-hmm. And um, you said ultimately that might be why you left teaching. And we hear that. We've heard that a lot. I heard it even some yesterday. And um, I wonder you know, why, you know, why that, that drives people away. And if it's, if it's so prevalent, why, why we're not changing it? Like why, you know, how? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, so here's this moment. This is actually a really funny moment for me because in all the work that I've been doing with Ted here in Hawaii, he's been back to Hawaii 12 times. Uh, I have um, strategically asked him back these 12 times to make certain things happen here in Hawaii. And we're really, really moving the needle in Hawaii in terms of innovation and student empowerment and agency. Um, so, but this conversation around college and around college track is a really dicey one. And Ted has been very vocal from the very beginning, but I have not. Um, I find that if you go very vocal in your feelings and around college track and the role of college and education and the way that it drives education, um, almost immediately the room begins to polarize. So you, so I've tended to stay pretty quiet about that conversation and I've let Ted speak. And we've built a lot of trust here in Hawaii. And so this is actually the first time I think for whoever, for, for the people that are listening to your podcast, I'm, I'm gonna come out here. <laughs> and, and just be like totally, totally straight up about this. And, and here's the reason why. Um, and by the way, that episode that you did with Ted was fantastic. I absolutely love that episode. So, so here's why I read what school could be. Um, and that was one experience. And I came away from that experience calling the book a love letter to amazing, innovative educators across the country. Then, because I'm doing a professional development session for a charter school on Maui on Friday, um, and they were all reading Ted's book, and I'm coming into that with my program around the book. I felt like I needed to read it again, but this time 
um, I decided to listen to it on Audible. Um, and I've never listened to an Audible book before. And I'm almost finished. And I'll tell you that my experience with the book is dramatically different. It's almost like a completely different book when you listen to it read to you. And what I'm picking up is less of the love letter to the innovators and much more of Ted's voice. And his voice is, I hate to use the word strident because of its negative connotations, but his voice is absolutely strident. It's a voice of concern. He's really, really raising the alarm about what's happening in our country today for a lot of, for over on a number of fronts. And one of those fronts is if we continue to push this college track, or if we just let it happen the way that it's been happening, our kids are at risk. They're at serious risk. And kids who are, who are going along that path and coming out, we all know like most likely to succeed what school could be, all the films that are out there, you know, the future of work, an incredible documentary I, walked, I watched on Frontline the other night about uh, artificial intelligence. The, these, if these kids are coming through that traditional track, they are not gonna be prepared to work in this age of acceleration, to use a phrase coined by Tom Friedman. So I, I think what I'm coming out about is just my own very strong personal feelings now that are, that's based on evidence and based on the time that Ted and I have spent together, that uh, we, we really have to act on this urgently now and begin to rethink what we're doing. And so just to give you a quick example, Toy, um, a few days ago, there was an announcement that the um, chancellors, or I'm sorry, the regents of the UC system have, I believe, come to a conclusion that the SAT is no longer, like, uh, shouldn't be required as, a, as an admissions tool. Um, this is the kind of urgency that I think we need. Um, and those guys are way Johnny come lately to the party. I mean, goodness gracious, that should have been 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, so... What it does and what I saw, Toy, in the classroom, me personally, I saw it, I executed it. As a teacher, I participated in that pathway. It deadens learning. It deadens creativity and imagination and innovation. And it puts kids just on an on a absolute track towards you know, retaining a bunch of information for a short period of time. That's I'm just going to say it out and out right now. If we continue to obsess about college ready, Ted talks about this a lot, then we're gonna to continue to put ourselves at risk. We won't have the kids who have the kind of critical thinking skills that are necessary to solve the climate crisis. They're just gonna be standing around going, I know a bunch of things, but I don't really know what to do here. Tell me what to do. And yeah. you, we can't graduate kids who are saying, tell me what to do anymore. Right. Yeah. So there you go. The biggest complaint in the workforce, like the, all these employers are like, I have to tell them every single thing that they need to do. And we're like, well, you created that with your K-12 system, like mm -hmm. for, for how, 13, well, 16 years, because college is the same way. They keep getting told what to do, exactly how to do it. And then they go into a workforce and the employer's like, okay, I need you to figure it out. And we're like expecting them to do that. It drives mm -hmm. me nuts. Yeah, and I think I think the whole the whole um, sort of point of your podcast and this this entrepreneurial spirit that we want to infuse into the cultures of our schools it's not it's not entrepreneurial spirit in the service of I'm going to create a business and make a, a crap load of money and that'll be me and my life it's entrepreneurial in the sense of how do I solve problems how do I do things without being uh, told what to do how do yeah. I work my way through my life. Um, 
moving from one problem to another, and maybe more importantly than anything, how do I do that in partnership with other people? How do I solve problems with other people? My work at Apple is 100% about that. You know, We have to reach out to each other all day long because the total quantity of technical and carrier information and other kinds of information um, is not possible to know by one person. So we have to work together as a team. So if you've never experienced that in school, how ready are you gonna be to do it? You're not. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, I mean, you just like my hairs on my neck stood up a little bit <laughs> when you were saying that. It's, it's so, it's so, so important. And what I think, what I, 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 you know, I've been in meetings and things with parents because I'm a parent of younger kids where I just, like, there's this fundamental disconnect, I think, because everyone, I can't imagine anyone disagreeing with the fact that we need these critical thinking skills. We need this ability for kids to, to not only understand how to solve, but want to solve problems. Mm -hmm. but, but there's this kind of traditional still mindset in parents and even some edgy, like this is the way it's always been. And you know, I, I fight that fight with my husband all the time because my kids hate school. I'm, I'm not gonna go there, Amber, but they- <laughs> but, Every episode. <laughs> Right. But but they do and they're smart and it's being sucked out of them. And when I go, okay, we need to find another solution here. You know, I have like my husband's got that traditional, well, school's supposed to stink and you got to get these good grades. And so I think a lot of parents too are fighting this thing in their mind. Like, I know that I want to put them on a good pathway and that there's this traditional pathway in front of me, but I don't agree with it. Right. <laughs> but but I can't let the kid fail. Like it's it's just this really weird um, kind of you know, you know, Toy, situation. <laughs> Toy, I've been. Um, I think I mentioned to you when I when I emailed you guys ahead of this particular moment that I've been doing a lot of journaling on LinkedIn. I just mm -hmm. I made a decision. I've never been a journaler. Um, but then I thought to myself, you know, I have a lot of thoughts, so maybe I'll just put them up and I'll do it in a, in a really professional format like LinkedIn and not on Facebook, which is, you know, good, good on you. Business. Yeah. Um, and so I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And one of the things that's been happening as I've been journaling on LinkedIn is that I've started to issue a series of apologies. Um, and those apologies are to my former students um, because I participated in that process. Um, I'll give you a specific example. Amber, you asked about La Pietra. When I came to La Pietra, one of the first things that I discovered was that the girls considered it a pass-through school uh, to get to Punahou, which is the largest, most elite private institution practically in the country. Barack Obama graduated from it. It's got a long history. Um, and all the girls thought that La Pietra is just the pathway to get to Punahou. And man, did that piss me off right out of the gate. I'm sure. Um, you know, and I was like, I'm gonna make it my mission uh, that you guys are not going to view La Pietra this way. You're going to see La Pietra as your destination and you're going to go through and graduate. And at the same time, I also found out that the, the dean of, of, uh, of students had been encouraging the, the girls to aim lower, that she felt like they had been applying to places like the Ivy schools and some of the, some of the more elite colleges, and that that was sort of above what La Pietra was actually preparing them for and that they would be they would be better off if they were applying at the 
you know, the, uh, I don't know, the University of Oregon's and the, and those kinds of schools. And that pissed me off. Wow. Did that really upset yeah, me? Yeah. I'm like, I am like my blood's <laughs> boiling. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, but I went into high gear and started really helping the girls to understand how to apply to those Ivy colleges, to the more elite schools. And because of my work, La Pietra got its first student admitted to Harvard. These were all great victories, but now these many years later, I'm feeling a huge amount of regret about that. When you, when you read what school could be, when you read, um, you know, most likely to succeed the book, what you're seeing, you know, Ted talks about Evergreen College in Washington. I applied to Evergreen in 1976 and it, you know, I had no idea what was going on at that school. And I have a, a lot of regret that I didn't go there because apparently it's a hotbed of innovation and creativity and imagination and has been from way, way back decades ago. So I, I wish I had seen the future coming earlier and I wish I had done better in, in not training the kids to be on that college track and that college, college, college was everything. And now on LinkedIn, I'm just starting to apologize for that because uh, it's just what I feel like I need to do. Um, algebra, you know, that I've, I've, not that it's a college thing, but I've started going off on algebra on LinkedIn. And uh, I just, it, you know, there's a plaque on the wall of the tutoring lab at University of Iowa where I graduated from their math lab, there's a plaque with my name on it. It's got 80 hours of tutoring. It was an award that I got. I needed 80 hours of tutoring to get through a remedial algebra class. I'll never get those 80 hours back in my life. Um, and so th that's, that's kind of where my head is at right now is that I'm feeling a little bit more anxious, like it's time to kind of take the lid off the thing. And uh, so, but I wanna be careful because in Hawaii here, our momentum is strong um, and I don't want us to get polarized around anything. We just, you know, the ship is sailing forward, public, private, and charter together. We're yeah. not sniping at each other. We're not firing shots at each other, unlike many other states. Yeah, and, good good on you because yeah. that's right. Um, but when you start, when so that's why LinkedIn, doing it on LinkedIn is sort of a quiet place to write my apologies and to make my feelings known about things. You know, the professional people are like, you know, that guy's got strong feelings about things. But yeah, I really like that. You know how they say at family dinners, like so Thanksgiving just happened, right? And they say at family dinners, there's always there's really polar conversations. Mine was with my uncle, who is an eighth grade history teacher about this exact topic. It wasn't politically tense. It was, I have very strong beliefs about the education landscape and I got into it. And my mom was like, Amber, rein it in. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, no, I understand the desire to like get all of that out there somewhere. Um, LinkedIn, so I, think, that's an awesome platform. I think the question about moving forward, Ted talked about this in his podcast with you. The key question is around professional development for teachers, and it, it has everything to do with the format of that professional development. So the more that we create PD sessions where teachers are not sitting and receiving a bunch of information from some professional developer, but actually interacting with each other in a highly structured environment, what that does is it mimics the very kinds of classrooms that we're looking to create. Um, and so as we go for it, so I'll give you a specific example. Um, for me, Ted talked about um, history teachers helping kids to become historians rather than to be filled up with a bunch of history that they regurgitate on a test and don't remember. So what does it mean to be a historian? So I taught history for 17 years. 
And that question became more and more urgent for me. And so if I'm in a PD session with a bunch of other history teachers, I'm going to want to share some of my gains that I made in the classroom and moving kids towards being a, a historian. There's a guy named Sam Weinberg um, out of Stanford uh, who is doing uh, history, moving that idea of being the historian um, into curriculum and into training for teachers. It's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. When you have kids digging into the primary sources and beginning to construct history for themselves, the magic starts to happen. Um, and the same could be true with chemistry or with art or with biology or with Japanese or whatever it is. What does it mean to be a foreign language speaker rather than I need to you know, recite a bunch of sentences or something like that? So I'm, I'm feeling hopeful because all across the country, I'm seeing examples of this kind of professional development is starting to pop up. And your podcast is helping that to happen because you're giving people a way to understand what the voices are of other people who are doing interesting things. And that's really, really important. And that's what I hope my podcast is going to be doing as well, is getting those voices out there. They're like, each time you listen, it's like a PD session. And then you go talk to somebody else and you're like, hey, I heard this person tell me about 20% time. What is, you know, I'm not quite understanding it. Or can I reach out to this person in this podcast? Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's that developing that empathy. And I mean, I, Amber and I, I mean, I guess we, guess maybe we're innovators, Amber. We, we might be. We're, yeah, we're, we are. We're doing, we, well, we do a PD um, and we've reformatted it and it looks amazing, but we're doing the new, like the new shiny version for the first time on Friday. And that's what it is. It's, it's all experiential. Um, very little, very little talking, just enough to set things up and, and get some background, but it's all just digging in and doing doing these things with teachers that they can turn around and do, you know, and use these little nuggets with their kids. And so, so I think what you're doing Toy, is, so here's what I'm doing. My challenge is to take the Hawaii chapter, if you will, in what school could be and extend it. I want, it's Ted's, I don't think he's gonna write a second or a third edition to that book. But my question is how can that chapter get longer and longer and longer and longer? until it's you know, 100 pages or 200 pages or 300 pages. So each podcast episode of this What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast extends that chapter and makes it a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. What you're doing in, in my mind is you're taking a conversation around innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, um, and imagination, and you're extending it. Each time you publish something, you extend that conversation a little bit longer and longer and longer. And what you're building is essentially a, the same kind of book that, that what school could be. Um, it's a whole series of ideas. And if we get this big library of ideas, if I'm a teacher and I'm kind of on that edge and I'm ready to be sparked and I know what's going around me. And then I, I listen to this episode and I'm like, wow, like, okay, now I know kind of one way that I want to step forward. And Ted talks about small steps lead to big change. Well, each episode leads to change. It's happening across the country. You guys would imagine that there are kids' lives who are actually being impacted by the work that you're doing. One short episode at a time. For me, the same thing. And I think that's the way the change is going to happen. And Ted often says change happens slowly until it happens really fast. Yeah. Um, and I think that we're in that accelerating moment. And we're discovering this medium called podcasting. 
and uh, the word about innovation and creativity and imagination is getting out there. So it's super cool to see this happening. And I'm stoked that you guys are doing the work that you're doing. So Hawaii, mahalo. <laughs> hey, I have a question. This is kind of like off subject, but I was thinking about this because Toy and I both, had sent, um, both attended the National Association for Community College Entrepreneurship recently in um, Newport Beach. Yep. And they did a pitch contest for community college students. And one of the colleges was from Hawaii. And their problem was the, a teacher shortage yep. on your islands and yep. how to address that. So I was wondering if you could talk to the teacher shortage in Hawaii, if that's in fact really affecting the landscape there and why you think, you know, teacher, teacher shortages, because it's not isolated in Hawaii. I mean, that's happening everywhere. Why are we not seeing that influx of mm -hmm. teachers that are emerging? I was wondering if you could talk a little there. Wow. That's a, that's yeah, an awesome let's question. <laughs> let's go oh, in. Yeah, let's unpack this. Yeah. So I think um, teacher retention and teacher recruitment, um, the teacher shortage is probably the number one problem that we have in our public schools here in Hawaii. Um, and so what, what's behind that? More than anything, Amber, it's about the cost of living here. It's yeah, just yeah. extremely difficult for a teacher, uh, possibly a, a single person trying to make it. You're going to have to be you know, living with six other roommates and yada, yada. We know that whole story about the cost of living. So addressing the cost of living is one thing. Addressing the environment that you're going to be teaching in is the second most important issue. And again, for anybody listening to this, I'm just sort of coming out here with some thoughts about the way that we've been. But Hawaii took took to the no. I won't say that we took the no child left behind, but we jumped head first into the deep end of the pool on race to the top. And Ted has been pretty strident in his views about how destructive race to the top was. So, the environment that you would have been coming into over the last 15 years. Um, has been one of extreme preparation for these race to the top tests and achieving what you need to achieve to get this, you know, the money that you need and all of that kind of stuff. So I think here in Hawaii, we are experiencing PTSD, uh, race to the top PTSD and no child left behind PTSD. So um, ironically, and maybe paradoxically, the state, because of some tremendous shifts in leadership and a very fundamental shift in our constitution that allowed for an, elect, uh, an appointed board rather than an elected board, um, has now moved in the direction of school empowerment, of, of, uh, de of uh, uh, I won't say deregulation, but of moving authority out to the complexes and out to the individual schools. So um, very long story short, the, the innovation, creativity, imagination genie has gotten out of the bottle here in Hawaii. So what that means is that the issue of, um, of the environment that you're coming to teach in is starting to shift really quickly. And there's, uh, I've been telling young teachers that I sell Apple products to at the Apple store, this, there's never been a greater time, a more exciting time to teach in Hawaii. Um, because the landscape is shifting so quickly. Um, but at the same time, the cost of living issue hasn't really changed at all. Yeah. So what I think special about your question and about this pitch uh, process and this, this um, I'm not sure which community college it was, but I, it's likely Kapiolani Community College. There's some great stuff happening there. 
So what I think we need to do as a culture, as a community here in Hawaii is, we need to stop thinking that the problem of the cost of living is someone else's problem to solve, that it's government's problem to solve, it's the traditional policymakers. And I've been arguing for years now that if our kids are deep into solving this particular problem, we're gonna figure out a way to, to solve it. We're gonna come up with some really creative solutions for how to lower the cost of living for our educators. And, and then at the same time with these creative environments that they're going to teach into, I really think we have a chance to be sort of a mecca for new teachers to come and teach and to be trained in this rich professional and development environment that we're creating. So, but, uh, but I don't wanna offer the solution I want yeah. to encourage our students. I want the kinds of things that you were mentioning. I want them to happen. I want our kids starting from kindergarten to be addressing this issue. Like, why don't you have a teacher today? Why can't a kindergartner look at that issue? Um, so anyway, that's, that's my unpacking of that is that we're on our way. It's a really difficult problem, but in the end, the larger solution might be a greater leveling of the playing field for everybody in Hawaii not just teachers trying to make a living. It's everybody trying to make a living in Hawaii. And, I, and our kids being involved in that is gonna be one of the most exciting things that happens in this state going forward. Yeah, I was just curious. The, the, yeah. I think the solution they presented was fascinating. It involved the tourism industry and like subs. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I'm, I would butcher it, but it was, it was a good pitch for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's an issue too, Josh. That's, I mean, Hawaii, it's, it's a lot more prevalent. I think the 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 cost of living because everybody kind of understands that about Hawaii. But um, I mean, we see it everywhere too. We see it everywhere we go where they, you know, a, a certified teacher doesn't stay around in some of the rural areas that we work in. So then these kids are being taught by, if they have a teacher, like you said, you know, they're being taught by, by teachers who aren't necessarily qualified. Not that I'm saying teacher mm -hmm. certification is the end all be all metric. Cause I was a career changer teacher. So. Right. <laughs> but, um, but it, you know, but you know, we're just not getting, I have a, I have a specific example for you. This is really cool. I'm glad we brought this up so that I can bring it up. So <laughs> I, um, Ted did not mention in the, in your episode with him, uh, something that he's been working on for a while now called the innovation playlist. And again, it's around that simple theme of small change leads to, or small steps lead to big change. So innovationplaylist.org, if you want to know more about that. And so I'm working on a project that involves what's called the canoe complex here in Hawaii. So we have one school district that has uh, on all islands that has 15 complexes and the canoe complex includes Lanai, Molokai and Maui. And there is, um, I'm working on a documentary film that's gonna be coming out in March about the implementation of the innovation playlist in the canoe complex. And I bring this up because um, Molokai High School, there was just an article uh, in one of our local papers recently about the principal there. Her name is Katina, with a K, Katina Suarez. And um, what this journalist discovered is that Katina is retaining all of her teachers. And this is the most rural school you could possibly imagine. I mean, there's literally zero stoplights on the island of Molokai. So this is rural personified. And yet somehow she's created an environment at Molokai High 
that makes teachers want to stay. Not only are they coming from other areas, they're, they're going through Molokai High as students and coming back to teach there. She came back to be the principal there. And so my thought would be to those uh, um, you know, community college kids, like if you're gonna be working on a pitch about how to retain teachers, you guys gotta make a trip to Molokai and find out what's going on with Katina over there. And for her, it's a rich innovation environment where teachers are feeling valued. They're part of the leadership team. They feel that entrepreneurial spirit, like Molokai is gonna succeed. Um, and so I'm, I'm just like super stoked about this. Um, and I'm, I'm stoked that this film will capture um, some of that and that we'll have that out next year. Um, that's where some of the solutions are coming from is in these rural areas where people are doing really innovative things to tackle really difficult problems like teacher, teacher retention. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. The rural said. areas are yeah. so good because they have to make things work with what they have. Like they, right. they never make excuses that they don't have enough resources. They make it work. And so, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, they are definitely leading that, that movement. Yeah. In the same way that small schools often are where the source of innovation lies because they have to do extraordinary things to keep their students. And in this age of acceleration and innovation and information, they've got to do what they got to do to have this, the kids feel engaged while they're in school, for sure. Yeah. That's, I think that's so powerful, Josh, because it's, it's, it's that it's, it's, I don't want to say trickle down economics, but kind of, you know, when you have teachers that feel like they're part of the mission of the school, that they're invested in it, then they produce kids who like, and that's, that's probably how Katina's done that because she has people coming back because they felt empowered as students there and they want to be part sure. of that as, as adults and continue to push that forward. So that's, that's such a, such an amazing thing. So I, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see your, your film. That's awesome. And then you, before we go, cause we're up on time a little bit here. Sure. Um, can you share a little bit more about your podcast and on the road series with us, with our audience? Yeah. So um, again, for the three and a half, almost four years that Ted and I've been working together, I've just continued to struggle with the idea that I wanted to um, kind of extend the story. I wanted the long tail of most likely to succeed. So here's high tech high, right? And then how does that long tail out of high tech high, like what are all of the other places where innovation is happening? And I just, I couldn't figure out a way to make that super visible to people here in Hawaii, public, private, and charter. Like what are all those stories where Ted could have filmed most likely to succeed those places, those innovative schools. And, um, and then there came the podcast, like I, I, I just sort of lit on it one day that that might be the mechanism for me to ex extend the story. And so one night at the Apple store, I was the head of the Hawaii Podcast Association. I was selling him some kind of product um, or he was playing with his device or something, whatever it was. And we started talking and Shazam, here comes the podcast and we've created it together. Um, so there are formal episodes. Um, we do batch recordings um, that turn into PD sessions where everybody is in the studio together. So imagine that you guys were doing four episodes on the same day, but you did them over three hours and everybody was listening to everybody else's interviews because you were all in the room together, quote unquote. Um, for me, I, that's the way I do my batch recordings of the formal episodes. 
And at the same time, those are released every Monday. At the same time, I thought it would be really cool to do what I'm calling on the road with what school could be in Hawaii. So these are, I have a mobile podcasting device and uh, a super long list of people that I want to interview that's getting longer and longer. And so I go to them and I just sit down and set up the device and it's relatively unstructured. We, we create a framework together in the first five minutes and then we execute the framework. Um, and so I'm excited because I'm only 13 weeks into this project and already we're over 4,700 individual downloads um, awesome. in 20, 21 countries. I'm just astounded at the reaction to this. And so um, many blessings on Ted Dintersmith for funding this project and helping me to get the equipment and um, to fly people in from the neighbor islands for these um, batch recording sessions. So uh, we just finished semester, uh, sorry, we, we finished season one, semester one, um, and season one, semester two begins in January. Um, and there are um, a whole nother group of people that have already said yes to interviews there. So we're just going to rock this thing forward. Um, and I'm already starting to think about who are the people that I'd, the next layer of people that I'd like to interview for 2020, uh, 2021. Um, and I'm super, I'm super stoked about being able to connect with you guys and with other people who are doing these kinds of podcasts. I think it's just like teachers connecting in a PD session. If we're talking to each other, uh, then we're cross-hatching a lot of stuff. And that what you guys are doing around entrepreneurship and the spirit of that in education is absolutely crucial to the conversation. So yeah, that's-, I, that's I can speak for Amber and say, we're happy to fly to Hawaii and <laughs> <laughs> be part of your batch recording. <laughs> well, you know, I'm actually, I'm, so I'm thinking for the first time around what a live event would look like. Um, I'm a big fan of a podcast called How I Built This. I think it's one of the best. I love How I Built This, yes. And his live events are super cool. Um, so I'm starting to think about doing a live event. And maybe the next time that Ted comes to Hawaii and possibly with the premiere of this documentary film around the innovation playlist. So maybe in all honesty to the two of you, that might be a moment um, when you guys could come here and that we could do a live event maybe even in partnership together where I do a couple of interviews and you do a couple of interviews and we do it in an auditorium with, you know, 200 people present. Um, and we get Ted and, and, you know, maybe even Sir Ken Robinson or Posse Solberg or somebody like that. Um, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. That we can would make be that so happen. <laughs> Don't tease us. Yeah. <laughs> I need to wipe the drool off my face. And <laughs> We, we need to do it right at the moment where the last snowfall in April has already driven you crazy. Like, yeah. you know, it's April 1st, it can't be snowing again. We need to go. Yeah, yeah that's. You need yeah. to do it when it's negative 20 wind chill in Chicago. And then I'm going to be like, I'm out. <laughs> go yes. to Hawaii. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Oh, this has been so, so fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm yeah. hoping that there's a, a part de and <laughs> yeah, for sure um but uh before like we usually wrap up with this like final question of if you have one compelling thing that you could tell educators what would it be wow wow that's a hard question one thing i end i end every one of my podcast interviews with with the question what could school be um and that also is a very hard question for people. So um, here's, here's what I would offer 
to, to that question. I would say to educators, figure out how to coach each other because coaching is the key to moving forward. We have to, we have to develop collegial coaching relationships with each other as educators. And when we coach each other, we build much deeper relationships with each other because that's the way coaching works. And that's the way innovation is going to spread across the vast teacher neural network is through that coaching process. So I would say to educators, reach out for people in your life, in your lives, who can act as coaches and begin to think about yourself as a coach. That's a hard leap for an educator to make. I would, I, in my early years, I wouldn't have thought I could be a coach for another educator, but even in the early days, I could have been. And so be vulnerable, step forward, reach out to somebody and say, will you coach me and I'll coach you and we'll move forward together. And that's, I think, how we're going to, we're going to really make this thing rock as we go forward into 2020 and 2021. That is awesome. That's, that's so true because you never know where that inspiration is going to come from. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. And, and not just with, you know, teacher to teacher, teacher to community stakeholder to yep. whoever, you know, you never know where you're going to find those new, those new ideas and those new pieces of inspiration. So that's Absolutely. awesome. Thank you for that. I wrote it down. I've, I've, I'm on like page five of my Josh notes. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going. <laughs> I just write mine all on my desk and then I take a picture. <laughs> I need to see this. I've, I, you've spoken about this glass desk. This glass and I write on it with a dry erase. <laughs> wow, that's great. Like yeah, there's typically there's like notes everywhere on my desk and then wow. I take pictures. That's it. That's an awesome idea. I'm going to rush out to Lowe's this afternoon and buy a glass top to my desk. My desk is like, I can't, uh, my desk was from Ikea. So yeah, yeah. it's a good little method. Um, Josh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your work in the podcast and what's the best way to touch base with you? So um, two ways that you can get in touch with me. My um, Twitter handle is at MLTS in Hawaii. Um, and you can always direct message me on Twitter. Um, and then the other way would be just to go to the podcast website, which is mltsinhawaii.com. Um, and my contact information and more information about me and my team. I just want to say really quick before we go that all of the post-production for my podcast is done by middle school students at a public school in Kona. Um, and they're my media team and they're doing a fantastic job. So oh. shout, shout out to Kealakehe Intermediate Hawk Media Program. Uh, those seventh and eighth graders are rocking it for this podcast. Um, and you can learn more about them at, at mltsandhawaii.com. So that's the way to get in touch with me. Yeah. That is awesome. My <laughs> heart just grew four sizes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very special. You got to walk the talk, you know, you can't, you can't just talk about kids should be doing this or kids should be doing that. You got to invite them to be involved. And it was a no brainer for me that all my post-production would be done by students. And I totally trust them. And they're doing a fantastic job with the cadence and the style and the sound of my episodes. So it's, it's a great thing. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Well, cool. thank you so much. This has been lovely. And we look forward to episode two and seeing you in Hawaii. Okay. That sounds good. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the time today.